you to turn in your copy of scripture to Genesis chapter 39 this morning. First book of the Bible, chapter 39. We actually looked two weeks ago at chapter 38. Great to see you. It's great to see some folks who have uh, family members here this morning, and maybe you're visiting for the first time, or you're here for the 12th year in a row. Whatever it is, we're glad to be together. It's good to be with the people of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, today, uh, depending on your care group leader, today is a care group Sunday. If you'd like more information about that, uh, please see me. I'd be happy to speak with you about that. And we've already mentioned uh, Wednesday night at 6.45. Next Sunday will be uh, coffee and snacks before the service at 9.45. We'll look forward to that as well. We'll keep you posted on other announcements. If you'd like to be in on the loop, just write down your name and email address. Give it to me and we'll get you on the weekly emails. Before we read Genesis 39, I would like to remind us very quickly and also remind myself of something that is said by Paul to Timothy. And he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Just before that, he reminds us of this. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Need that reminder. Genesis chapter 39. I hope you're there. Follow along. Listen as we read. Please don't get too comfortable just yet. We will not uh, be seated too long before I have you stand again. Genesis 39 verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. Yahweh, the Lord, was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph, verse 4, found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him, that's Potiphar, made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, 
Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke, verse 10, to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled And got out of the house. Then, verse 16, she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him, that is, of course, Potiphar, the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Now, for the purposes of finishing this chapter and also for prayer, let's stand together as we continue to read. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we stand before you on our feet this morning. And we pray, indeed, that your name would be set apart as holy. And we pray that you would set your people apart this morning. In that word that we use, uh, sanctification. Lord, would you set your people apart? Many are called, but few are chosen. For those who are already your people, Lord, work in us through the gospel. And for those who are not yet your people here this morning, work among us through the same means 
and that is the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Open your word to us. Help us, Lord. Help us to preach the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. Let me uh, give you a very quick orientation. I've already said Genesis 39. Our series is Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Joseph. Joseph. Genesis 37 through 50. The title this morning is this, Flee from Sexual Immorality. Probably didn't have to, to guess too hard at that title. Again, the title is Flee from Sexual Immorality. However, let me say right now, that uh, we, we absolutely want to see that, but we really want to see uh, more than that as well. There is more to the story than just flee immorality, although there is certainly that. Uh, so, so we're told that Andrew Jackson's wife, Rachel, Rachel Jackson was the wife of Andrew Jackson who won the election to be the seventh president of the United States. As their friends celebrated their upcoming move to the White House, she remarked to a friend, I assure you that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to live in that palace in Washington. And the key word that's been given to that story is the word priorities. As Rachel and Andrew are getting ready to move into the great palace and their friends are praising them, celebrating them, no, I tell you what would be better. We also, like Rachel Jackson this morning, we see a man, a a young man. As we've already noticed in what we've read, we see a young man who, by the grace of God, knew his priorities and knew what was most dear to him. Well, we do want to see this famous story uh, this morning. Really, and... Like Ray, I'll say, forgive me if I've said these things before. I know I've said similar things. We're in a wonderful part of Scripture, which is Genesis 37 through 50. It's been said, and I totally agree, that these 14 chapters certainly rival, and in a way, because it's the Word of God, far surpass. But just on a mere uh, literary level, on a literary level, these 14 chapters rival great uh, great novels of our times, or, or just great, uh, a great short story. Of course, we're not dealing with fiction here uh, this morning, but, but the story, I mean, we are, we are looking at, uh, God help us, just a great story that, that has more to it than at first meets the eye. And I, I think maybe uh, maybe we'll have to just stop after today because this uh, this will stop the whole series after today because this chapter is really a great chapter in the series. We'll keep going, but this is a high point. This is a famous point, and this is uh, Joseph and Potiphar's wife and the issue of sexual immorality and and running. <laughs> running from it, and I'll say it again, we want to see that and more, and more. Well, let me just say, uh, by way of of review, we're 
today in Genesis 39, and two weeks ago in Genesis 38, uh, we noticed Judah and Tamar. Uh, We said that actually these 14 chapters are not just about Joseph, but technically they're about Judah and Joseph. And so we just went ahead and we looked at Judah first so that we would go ahead and then the rest of the time look at Joseph. And, And Judah is in chapter 38. And you may remember if you were here, beloved, or if you were not here, you may know the story that Judah, by the way, we know that God chose Israel because Israel was righteous and holy. No, no, Judah's story tells us God did not choose Israel because of Israel. God chose Israel when we look at the the patriarchs in spite of her wickedness, God chose Israel because he set his love upon Israel. That's why, well, Genesis chapter 38 is Judah hiring as a prostitute his daughter-in-law. And he did not know at the time that the prostitute that he was hiring was his relative. Tamar had her purposes for doing what she did in basically seducing her father-in-law. And we noticed, and we talked about Matthew chapter 1, that the line of Judah was preserved. The line of Judah, the line of the Messiah was preserved. And Tamar, Genesis 38, becomes in Matthew chapter 1, one of the imperfect women in the genealogy of Messiah Jesus. Well, that brings us to Genesis chapter 39. Would you look there with me? And again, I am expectant as we open up and as the Lord helps us in this chapter. Look at verse 1. Still doing just a bit of quick review here. Verse 1 of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Now notice verse 1 of chapter 39, and then I want you to turn back to the last verse or two of chapter 37. Flip back there for just a moment. Let me hear you. Uh, pages turning there. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites, or we might say the Ishmaelites, had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I just wanted you to see in a very basic way that chapter 39, verse 1, picks right back up where we left off with chapter 37. You see, the last verse of chapter 37, Joseph, by his uh, wicked, sinful brothers, is sold into slavery you remember from Genesis chapter 37, what was one of the key parts of that story? It was, a, it was an article of clothing was one of the key parts of that story. It was Joseph's robe, right? Or what we have often refer to as his coat as many colors. By the way, boys and girls, chapter 39, very similar. An article of clothing, Joseph's, plays a key role again today along with deception. In chapter 37, his brothers sell him into slavery, you remember. They go to his father, is this your son's robe? 
his robe and deception. Today, his robe and deception. Well, we, people ask, you know, why is chapter 38 right in the middle? That goes, I mean, it's talking about Judah. It's not really talking about Joseph. I've already told you, Judah and Tamar in that illicit union. Well, and today in chapter 39, we see a stark contrast between the purity of Joseph, who, listen to me, is an example to us today, and the impurity of Judah. It's a stark contrast. Number one. Number one for today, I want, I want us to see 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Would you please keep your place and turn, keep your place in Genesis and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is number one. Number one is 1 Corinthians 6. Number two is flee immorality. Number three is God's presence with his people. God's presence with his people will be number three. Number one, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see this with your eyes. And if you don't have a Bible or if you're not there, then listen carefully. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. This is not just another Sunday in Goldsboro this morning. As we've already alluded to, this is the corporately the temple of God. Individually, if you know Jesus Christ, you are individually indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Middle of verse 19, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, so here's the positive. So glorify God in your body. Now get the context for this. Look back at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. And, and we're getting ready to read about uh, prostitutes. Let me say that Paul here is not only talking about men consorting with prostitutes. He is talking about men or women, young men or young women, and the issue of what we might call pornea or sexual immorality. So I just want to say, we're getting ready to read here, and this is not just narrowly, well, this, is, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm, I'm not a man. I haven't consorted with a prostitute. Listen, 1 Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. Or, you know, that includes adultery. That includes fornication but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. This is not negative. This is positive. 
and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And then there it is, right? There it is. Verse 18, A. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. That's our second point. It's a, it's a bridge point between 1 Corinthians 6 and Genesis 39. Point or heading number one is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. You could also learn more about sexual immorality from chapter 7 and from chapter 5. Really clear, helpful teaching, dear brothers and sisters. Heading number two, flee immorality. So in one sense this morning, in one sense, you could say that our text is 1 Corinthians 6, 18a. And our illustration, our extended illustration is Genesis 39. In one sense, you could say that the text is flee immorality, and the picture of that is Genesis 39. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us to flee two things. There's two eyes that you and I, even this morning, need to flee. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says what? Flee idolatry. And of course, these two things go together. Flee idolatry, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee immorality. Flee from sexual... So, so run like the dickens. Run as fast as you can. It has been said that there are... Listen to me. There are some sins, Christian. There are some sins where it is not only appropriate, but where it is good for you to counter that sin through fight. There are some sins to where you go against that sin with fight. And there are other sins where the only appropriate response is flight. Light. Run. Do not fool yourself. I speak to, yes, I speak to men here this morning who may actually uh, uh, think about or have or are planning on consorting with a prostitute or consorting with a prostitute the way we do it these days in our culture. And yes, as we might think, yes, I do speak to young men this morning, but there's more to it, although there's not less. There's not less to it than flee sexual immorality. It is for men and women. It is for us all to pursue holiness apart from Jesus Christ. That's impossible. Apart let me say, apart from the one who is greater than Joseph, don't look at Joseph merely as an example. Look at Joseph as an imperfect man who knew himself and who knew his God. Joseph's an example to you here this morning, young man, older man, older woman, and younger woman. He is an example to us all, but he's not the Savior. He is an imperfect man who knew his God and who knew himself. And listen, he knew himself well enough to know 
This is not a sin that you fight. This is a sin where there is a call for a flight. Run to flee. In the text of Genesis 39, I think it's four times he fled. He fled. He fled. 1 Corinthians 6, 18a, flee from sexual immorality. And we're already to heading number three. 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. And don't forget 1 Corinthians 10, flee idolatry. Number three, the Lord was with Joseph, God's presence with his people. Look with me at Genesis 39 in the middle of verse 6. Look at the middle of verse 6 of Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I suppose you could elaborate on that. Uh, we won't do so at great length. You know, it probably was what the commentators say. It probably was broad-shouldered, tan, whatever. Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And that's linked together with verse 7. Keep in mind, he's young, right? He's young. Verse 7, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Okay, so here's, here's the story. Uh, Joseph is a slave. He's a servant, and he has been sold by the Ishmaelites, ultimately uh, previously sold by his brothers, uh, into the hand of the Midianites or the Ishmaelites, who then in turn were going down to Egypt with their caravan of myrrh and gum and balm, and they end up selling him just by accident, just by, no, there's no coincidences. Remember, Crossway, remember, what's the big idea here? You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And so it just so happens that Joseph is bought by this man Potiphar. It just so happens that Joseph is not as a slave given menial work, although I think at first he was probably doing menial labor, um, which, by the way, is not unimportant. Because wherever you see Joseph in 37 through 50, listen to me, you see him living, as R.C. Sproul reminds us, Karam Deo, before the face of God. And so whatever he does, wherever he is, what does he do? He just works hard. And, he, and God's with him. The presence of God with his people. God is with you, Crossway. God is with me. God is with his people in prosperity and in adversity. He's with his people in the low times, and he's with his people in the good times. J, uh, Joseph lived, as I say again, Coram Deo, before the face of God, and so nothing was to, well, I've been unjustly sold as a slave. I've been dealt a bad hand. And then we complain and we moan and we air our grievances. And one of the things that we've pointed out already that is like our Lord Jesus Christ is that so often here in the story of Joseph, you do not see him moaning. No, you see him actually silent in the face of injustice. And he's just, he's just doing his day, right? 
And so at first he's probably doing menial tasks, but he does not live his life. He's not enslaved. He's not enslaved to the fear of man. He does not live for the pleasure of people. He lives in one sense before an audience of one. And so he does his duty. And Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar, she comes to him. He is broad-shouldered. He's tan. He's young. We don't know what she looks like. Was she, uh, was she uh, really a super attractive? Was she not? What we do know is that the story tells us she says, lie with me. And he says, and I think, in, I think maybe 35 words, he says, no, 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 I cannot do that. How could I do this wickedness and sin against God? Psalm 51, David says against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He said, how can I do this wickedness against God? I, I'm, I'm on the same level as your husband in this house. I am, he humbly says, I'm the man in this house. Your husband, Mrs. Potiphar, has put me in charge and has exempted nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How could I do this thing? How could I do this? And I guess you could say like a dripping faucet, she continues continually, day after day, lie with me, lie with me, lie with me. No, no, no. I'm distancing myself more and more. Joseph says, I'm distancing myself more and more. And then, and then the day comes. The day arrives. That fateful day. And she says, lie with me. And grabs him. Look at it. Verse 8. He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, Genesis 39, 8, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, please mark, notice that. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house. I've heard somebody say, well, you know, that, that's Joseph's problem right there. I don't read it like that. that. That is a problem. Don't go into a house with a, a, a lustful woman if you know that she's a, certainly don't do that. I don't think that's a mark against Joseph in this story. Verse 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he, remember 1 Corinthians 6? But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he, ah, blame shifting, Potiphar. See, he has brought among us a Hebrew. Now she's getting into a racial slur to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. Liar. Verse 15. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Full of lies. Verse 16. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. 
But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. You remember what I said? The same thing as chapter 37. There is an article of Joseph's uh, clothing. In this case, it's not his robe of many colors. In this case, it's his outer garment. And just like chapter 37, there's his robe, and then there's also deception used in tandem with his robe. Different setting, same old song. Verse 18 again, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Lies, lies, lies. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Stop there for a moment. You do have to think, as it's been pointed out, you do have to think, does Potiphar himself and do the other people who worked in tandem with this house because the text makes clear there's multiple people working in tandem with this house, right? Do they know that, uh, do they know what type of woman she is? Maybe not, maybe not. But is there a chance that they know what type of woman she is and that, uh, and that she is making up all this garbage against, against uh, we might say, God's man? Well, it certainly seems in verse 19, it certainly seems that Potiphar himself Hearing from his wife, it certainly seems like, doesn't not, that uh, his initial reaction is one of truly believing her. However, what would have been very appropriate would have been the death penalty. And so maybe, maybe there is a thought in his mind because he doesn't give Joseph the death penalty, right? Now notice verse 20. Joseph's master, Potiphar, you know, in Egypt, you've got some, we've got some peas here. You've got Pharaoh, and Potiphar is, a, is under Pharaoh, but he's an important guy. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. The uh, story of Joseph and the abuse that Joseph has taken only, only continues and only deepens. And what does verse 21 say? But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast. No, but it says, listen, but the Lord was with Joseph. God's presence with his people. This passage is about Joseph as an example for us today, and it is about flee from sexual immorality. The main thing this passage is about is God's presence with his people in prosperity and adversity. Notice this. The Lord was with Joseph, verse 21, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Why? Why? Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 1 Corinthians 6, flee sexual immorality. God's presence with his people. 
James Boyce was a famous pastor who, in our perspective, died at too young of an age, I think at age 62. He was a famous pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, where I've been because I married a Philadelphia girl who did not grow up Presbyterian, but been there. It's a good church. Thankful for it. Listen to what James Boyce says. Listen to this. Why is it that professing Christian young people go away to college and there fall into living with a boyfriend or girlfriend, which they would never have done while at home? Why will a man on a business trip do what he would probably resist doing in his hometown? Why will Christians compromise their speech and actions at parties in a way that they would not in everyday circumstances? The reason that Christians, professing Christians, might compromise their speech or actions at a party or that a professing Christian businessman would do things on a business trip that he would never dream of doing at home or that a college student would do things away at college that they would never do at home. The reason, Boyce says, is the individual's low view of God. They may profess to believe in God and may actually think of themselves as good or as good Christians. But what they really have is a tribal view of God. They think of God as the God of their local family or hometown or workday world, and not the one universal God of all times and places. He's not done yet. We do not emphasize doctrine at Crossway Church for the sake of the head alone. Bible truth is practical. Do you know God? Do you know God? The most important thing, Tozer, the most important thing about you is the thought that comes into your mind, the first thought that comes into your mind about God. Do you have a low view of God or do you have a high view of God? Doctrine matters. Truth about God matters. What is your view of God? This, this actually is the, uh, the, the panacea, the cure-all. This was Joseph's silver bullet. Joseph had not read Every Man's Battle by I forget his name. 20 years ago, I read Every Man's Battle, and then I was working at Look Up Lodge in Greenville, South Carolina, and we read Every Young Man's Battle. That's fine, but you can read Every Man's Battle and not know God. Do you know God? Have you repented of your sins and looked to the Lamb of God who died on the cross in place of the people of God have you repented of your sins? Have you seen that the scriptures don't just say flee from sexual immorality, but they also say glorify God in your body because the Lord Jesus Christ died and was raised with a glorified body and we like him, brothers like the elder brother. Do you know God? Let me put it clearly, Boyce says. God is as much at the office party as he is in your workroom. He is as present in your college town as your hometown. He is as present in a brothel as in a church. God is omnipresent, present everywhere. That's Psalm 139. The omnipresence of God is not a matter for theologians to debate. It's a matter for members of Crossway to have in their minds every day. 
God is real. God is everywhere present. God knows all things. There may not be anybody in the world who sees where I am. Joseph was not close to his family. Joseph was in a perfect position. It's been said that the very reasons that Joseph gave for not giving in would have been the same reasons that many people would have used to give in. Joseph could have given in easily, but he knew God. It's not that Christians are perfect. It's not that Christians are perfect. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, through Jesus Christ, grace has invaded our lives and we are not the same. We are changed. Are you new? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? Is his death your death to sin? Is his resurrection your resurrection? You don't have to work. You have to have faith and be united to Jesus Christ who was slain for sinners. Oh, he's the, he's the greater Joseph. He is the greater Joseph. I really like to think about this passage and I'll give this to you. Here's how I want you to think about Genesis 39. The number one most important thing is this, God's presence with his people. God's presence with his people. And we see that there right at the very end. 21, 21, the Lord was with Joseph. 23, at the, near the end of verse 23, the Lord was with him. That's the most important thing. So think about Genesis 39 like this. In verses 1 through 6, Joseph is overseer of Potiphar's house, and the word is success. I'm not going to linger much longer, so just listen to this. In verses 1 through 6, he's the overseer of Potiphar's house, and the word is success. In verses 7 through 19, he is tempted, he's seduced by an adulteress, Potiphar's wife, and the key word is success. And then in verses 20 through 23, which mirrors very closely the first six verses, he becomes the overseer of the prison. I mean, his life is like this all the time. He becomes the overseer of the prison, and the key word is success. Are you with me? In 20 through 23, he's the overseer of the prison, and it's explicitly used the word success. In 7 through 19, the word success is not explicitly used, but that's what it is. He succeeds in the face of temptation. And in verses 1 through 6, he's the overseer of Potiphar's house, and the word is explicitly used, success. And all I'm simply saying is underneath success, success, success is this, God's presence with his people. Oh, it's sweet. It's sweet to be a Christian. Not sweet in a, in a flannel graph type of way. It is sweet to know God and to know the Lord Jesus Christ because you live with the presence of God. How do we know that? Because Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. The incarnation, the gospel, the incarnation says not only that God was with his people Israel, not only that God was with Joseph, but God was with Jesus, and Jesus says that God will be with us. I am with you always. You think about, listen to this. Listen to this. God was with Joseph in prosperity and adversity. 
God was with Jesus in prosperity and adversity except for one crucial time. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God was with Joseph in prosperity and adversity. God was with Jesus in prosperity and then on the cross. He's, can I say it? He's not with him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm forsaking you, my son, for all of my people who will ever believe in you so that you will never be forsaken. You, Christian, will never be forsaken by God no matter what you're going through. You will never be forsaken by God because Jesus, your Lord and Savior, was cut off. Joseph wasn't cut off for you. Jesus was cut off. He was forsaken of God so that we might never be forsaken. Do you know him? Do you believe in him? One through six, success. Seven through 19, that's the heart of the story. Seduced, tempted, success. 20 through 23, success. All because of this, and I'm just going to read verses one through six and we're done. Look at it with me, please. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, verse 1, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. If you're counting, this is number 3. Verse 21, verse 23, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to what? To succeed in his hands. Verse four, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. Oh, by the way, number four was in verse three. The Lord was with him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Let's pray. Father, we read these words that because of Joseph, But because of you, through Joseph, Potiphar was carefree, except for his food. And we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Lord, we pray again, hallowed be your name, our Father. Set your name apart as holy among us. We cannot do it. We prayed this morning in our prayer meeting for children and grandchildren who may be wandering from you. We are foolish if we think that we ourselves are exempt from this type of sin. Have mercy upon us. Humble us. Please have mercy upon us that we may walk faithfully and be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would have. 
for your glory and for our great happiness in you. Amen. Thank you.